Is there anyone here who's never sinned? If so, raise your hand. Never sinned. I didn't see any hands go up. I guess that means we're all in the same boat. Being of a somewhat nautical persuasion, I sort of like that expression. Today, let us spend a little time on a concept expressed in Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. As recorded in Mark chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, when the Pharisees questioned Jesus about his eating with sinners, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. Then he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You may have noticed I didn't raise my hand because I have sin. Not because I like sinning, but more because for the longest time I didn't realize that that's what I was, a sinner. And really because I'm kind of weak. God created us in his image. He gave us free will. But he also described acceptable conduct. In fact, he mandated a specific level of moral conduct. Written in stone, if you will. But we humans, in our lust for our own pleasure and self-satisfaction disregarded God's intent and design to populate the world by people who are considerate of God's will and considerate of one another. Is God perfect? If measured by his own standard, maybe not. By the reports in the Bible, it looks to me kind of like he may have wanted to kick his own rear end for creating man. So much so that he was going to destroy it all in a flood. But thankfully for us, he did find enough of himself in Noah that he initiated and allowed the ark and its cargo to succeed. People like Noah and later Abraham and even King David and some others recognize God for who he is and perhaps recognized in themselves who they were and worked at becoming who they should be. But as exhibited in Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zebulun, 
people were still in lust for their own pleasure and self-satisfaction. Full of sexual immorality and social injustice. Unfortunately, as demonstrated by the 2015 Supreme Court of the United States decision that the fundamental right to marry is guaranteed to same-sex couples by both due process clause and the equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment, the LBGTQ community has grown so powerful as to attempt to take over Christian denominations and have gone so far as to say that if Jesus Christ didn't condemn homosexuality, then neither should any good Christian. I think this power play was and is a part of Satan's effort to split churches in an ongoing ploy to weaken and remove religion from the public square. Prayer has already been removed from public schools, and there is an ongoing effort to remove God from our Pledge of Allegiance. The fact that Jesus is not recorded as ever having condemned anyone is completely ignored. You remember the story of one day when Jesus was teaching crowds of people in the temple and religious leaders brought a woman caught in the act of adultery to him and set her in front of the crowd accusing her and asked Jesus what should we do with her and how he doesn't respond at first but stoops down and starts writing in the dust at his feet. They kept demanding an answer, and Jesus finally stood up and said, Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he resumed writing in the dust. He reports how one by one the crowd began to leave. Scripture says, beginning with the oldest. The oldest likely left because they realized how weak and vulnerable they were to sin themselves and how many times they themselves had failed throughout their life to adhere to God's law. What was Jesus writing in the dust? No one knows. Maybe he was listing the sins of the various people in the crowd. Maybe he was pointing out that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or maybe if anyone claims he is without sin, they are a liar and the truth is not in them. After every single person has left, I suspect kind of like chastised dogs with their tails between their legs, 
Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus did not condemn anyone. That was not his mission. Even with folks like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and other prophets and doers of the Lord's will, humanity was still hell-bent on doing and getting what they wanted when they wanted without regard to anyone but themselves. Now, there were some who somehow came to realize they were very much out of step with God. They realized they were lost, that God's face was turned away from them because of their conduct, their way of life. They knew they were going to hell, but they did not know they were still loved by God and that they could harden their hearts to sin in ungodly ways and that they could open their very souls to God. But their guilt was before them and their shame before God hardened their hearts to God. In their own minds, they were unsalvageable. God may have, in his own mind, slapped his forehead, saying to himself, these creatures of mine are really stupid. They don't realize that I love them and will forgive them their transgressions if they are truly sorry for what they have done and ask for forgiveness. Maybe he thought to himself, somehow I need to get the word to them in a manner they can understand. <laughs> I know. I'll send the one who was with me from the beginning, and he will be my son on the earth, and he will speak my words with my authority. And so it came to pass that Jesus Christ came, taught, and died on the cross. So each of us may understand that we can be forgiven if we are truly sorry, confess our sins, ask for forgiveness, and sin no more. In the preceding sentence, there is one equation and one command. The equation, truly sorry plus confession of sins plus asking 
for forgiveness equals eternal life in God's presence. That's the equation. Truly sorry plus confession, asking for forgiveness equals eternity with God. The command, sin no more. Sin no more. As we see in John 14, Jesus Christ said very clearly that no one goes through the Father but through him. He also demonstrated by his actions that the most foul sinner can receive God's grace and be saved simply by accepting this equation as valid and performing it. The person that thinks he can live a life of sexual immorality and social injustice, then on his deathbed ask for forgiveness and get into heaven, just does not understand that Jesus Christ looks in their hearts to see if true sorrow exists. Not the sorrow for missing out on the heavenly good stuff, but the sorrow for having disappointed God. But what about the command to sin no more? I was truly sorry, confessed my sins, ask for and receive forgiveness, but on the way home, I sinned. I guess I'm just unsalvageable. No, no, not really, not really. To not sin is an ongoing battle. Anyone who truly repented enlists in God's army by asking for forgiveness. This equation mentioned is really an enlistment contract. Sin is the enemy. There will be skirmishes, ambushes, frontal attacks, covert activities, all manner of actions designed to overcome you. As with all wars, the good guys experience pain, agony, setback. Sometimes they're taken prisoner and have to escape or be liberated. Let me ask you, what separates Christianity from other religions? Aren't all religions the same when you get right down to it? Nope. Not at all. Why? Because of divine forgiveness. The Hindu pays his karma through countless reincarnations with a goal of becoming free from the law of karma to be free of the continuous reincarnations 
to one day be free of the cycle of rebirth and be at rest. In a somewhat similar vein, Buddhists believe a person has countless rebirths, which inevitably includes suffering. The goal is to purify one's heart and let go of all yearnings towards sensual desire and the attachment to oneself. Through practice meditation, a person may receive nirvana. The Muslim honors Muhammad as the last word of God and that he speaks for God. At death, based on one's faithfulness for Muhammad's guidance, the Muslim hopes to enter paradise. Muslims believe that giving up one's life for Allah, visualize suicide bombers, is a sure way of entering paradise. Only Christianity offers the elegance of forgiveness. Those who come to Christ know for sure their debt has been paid once and for all. The guilt is re eradicated completely. This is the grace of God. He faces our guilt head on and is big enough to forgive. This is the difference of Christ. Notice I mentioned divine forgiveness, emphasis on divine. Earthly forgiveness is a whole other matter. I believe that ultimate forgiveness is seen best in the cross of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Christ, I see the greatest price paid for one's forgiveness, but also the greatest good gained in rebuilding one's own life. The cross of Christ does not minimize evil or gloss over reality. Rather, it shows evil at its ugliness, even while offering a new beginning in the most profound sense of the term. The grace of forgiveness, because of the Son of God himself, has paid for the price for our sinful hearts, is a Christian distinctive and stands splendidly over and against our hate-filled world our hate-filled, unforgiving, poisoned world. God's forgiveness gives us a fresh start. I want to close with a poem that I found some time ago that I really like from an unknown elementary school teacher. He came to my desk with a quivering lip, 
the lesson was done. Have you a new sheet for me, dear teacher? I've spoiled this one. I took his sheet, all soiled and blotted, and gave him a new one, all unspotted. And into his tired heart I cried, do better now, my child. I went to the throne with a trembling heart. The day was done. Have you a new day for me, dear master? I've spoiled this one. He took my day, all soiled and blotted, and gave me a new one, all unspotted. And into my heart, my tired heart, he cried, do better now, my child. Amen and amen.